Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Chris Bartlett, welcome to The Mentor. Nice to be here, Mark. And uh, you are the founder and CEO of Tapestry. doesn't tell me too much uh, about what it's doing. We're going to talk about what Tapestry does in a moment, but um, just give us a bit of a background on you. So um, you look like a fairly young guy. You've got no gray whiskers anywhere. So, uh, well, there's a few coming through over yeah. that pandemic. <laughs> yeah, there, there always is. I mean, that, that's usually worried. That's not age-related. Um, tell me about yourself. Melbourne-based? Melbourne-based. Um, I run a company called Tapestry, which is an analytics company. Yep. Um, I actually have an interesting background in theology. Uh, as, as in being a priest or? Yeah. Well, not a Catholic priest, but yeah. uh, in the Christian sphere, I studied religion, yeah. uh, was a youth worker, taught myself to write code, and I've built several product companies, and Tapestry is the latest iteration of what we now do with technology. Okay, well, that does got me interested already. So, um, as a you were you were a student of theology. That's correct. Like, a, a, like in a formal sense. Yeah, formal sense. Um, so Christian theology, but I've studied all the different religions and belief systems, which is highly applicable to technology, which you wouldn't really actually think. Well, I want to get into that. I'm dying <laughs> to know about that. I'm um, so like um yeah, I, I, but I'm actually sort of uh, semi interested in um, I don't mean I'm not interested, but I'm, I have have sort of delved into the different theologies or um, Christian beliefs and probably the theology we come from the Greek word, the study of God yep. um, in in his or her different formats. Yep. Um, the Greeks had it sorted out before everyone else, didn't they? Well, it seems like it's a bit of a copycat. So the Roman Empire just basically a copy of the Greek um, the theological beliefs of multitude of gods or uh, polytheism and then um, just gave them new names. Which I found very interesting, um, but then, but but not too long after that, um, uh, you know, other other religions had similar sort of belief systems. Um, but you know, there's a lot of commonality in the morality or the ethics of religion. I think maybe not so much who God was or Zeus or you know, etc. But and where the gods came from, but. More the belief system seems to be very similar in most of the religions. Think, um, there's not, it's not too, too different. And I, I think you'll find that over history, belief systems converge to the mean of what is right for society. Um, so you'll find commonalities in patterns like marriage being the best model, or uh, for social control, for social well, control or Management. for society. Um, so, and then you have within that a derivative of belief systems at the uh, outer bounds of um, the Overton window. Um, so we're always changing and evolving in our beliefs, um, but there's a convergence or a pattern of what we deem to be right or the right fit. Um, so that's why there are commonalities across different religions. Um, and then you have the value systems that underpin those, which are really interesting because our values dictate our actions. And there is a link between value and these ideas of valuation because uh, our actions dictate what we buy. Okay. So so when you mean what we buy, so... So I, I um, from a branding perspective, would uh, pursue something that I believe in. So it's going to dictate my consumer behavior. Um, so I won't go for something that is outside of, say, my political uh, perspective, which is based on my beliefs. And that actually is the underlying theos of an individual, which is their belief systems around what is what. But it's all interconnected all the way down the line to consumers uh, and the way that they interact with uh, products and services. Sorry, I just want to get this right. So in, in your view, so our behavior, our system of behavior as an individual, not not societal behavior but i'm just talking about how i might interact with something i see on instagram for example an offer mm -hmm. um i'm talking about a sponsored sponsored offer um 
Are you saying that uh, what forms my response often will be related to um, my own my own belief system? Correct. Yeah. So your underlying belief system, which will dictate, well, I value this and I don't value that. Um, so, I mean, I don't particularly value hats, right? Like I've got a fine head of hair still. Um, so, I'm, you know, I want to optimize on that. Um, but I, I won't purchase that based on uh, my underlying beliefs. Well, that's not for me. So it's uh, linked intrinsically to consumer behavior um, through and through your theos. So if you're, I think you surf. Um, yeah, I used yeah. to. So a lot of your um, spend will be based around your desire to be in the ocean or be close to nature or have some headspace. Um, and that's actually going to affect basically all the way down the line and go into businesses, small businesses where you're buying things um, because you would uh, attribute yourself as a surfer. Um, but that's based on the way you want to live your life, which is then based on your theos or your theology. So we all have a theology, whether it's Christian, Jewish, uh, atheist, and that's actually an underpinning uh, mechanism that leads to our behavior. So when people go and study behavioral science, really what they probably should be looking at is maybe not the science, but the, well, the science of beliefs, Yeah, what we believe in. That's correct. It's human nature. So behavioral science is a label for the institutional study of human nature. Um, you could say economics is also human nature and also yeah, politics is human nature. Economics definitely is. And so then you, you find this weird convergence between all of those things um, and then underneath pinning that is these deep beliefs that are in society which we would attribute to religions or we would uh, political persuasions. It's incredibly fascinating um, coming from that worldview um, because then how does that then translate into our day-to-day -day, um, as far as the way we do work and business and health? and But it, it is all interconnected. Was your study part of a, a religious group? Yeah, so I was a uh, non-denominational, which is, uh, so I don't attribute myself to a different denomination within Christianity, um, but uh, where I did study was um, under the Pentecostal movement, which is quite progressive. Um, so deep theology, um, but also quite human in their approach to uh, the way that they express their belief. Where did that come from? Like uh, someone in your family or? or uh, my father, actually. Yeah. Your father, um, yeah. So he was uh, a, a Christian minister. A minister, um, yeah. yeah. And so um, he was a bikey who um, had a transformation in his life. Your dad became, was a bikey? Well, not a, like a, a dangerous a bikey. A, a bikey. Biker. Back, back in the 80s, you know, yeah, um, yeah. everybody wore the leather jackets, but yeah. not in the... Uh, yeah, dangerous sense yeah. uh, and had a transformation one night after meeting my mother uh, and ended up a uh, Pentecostal minister uh, trying to help the local community. Um, so I saw that his uh, life and uh, his deeds were, uh, I suppose, creating a very strong impact locally. And that's a pretty good model to actually, you know, model yourself after. I've, I've got a couple of cousins who, you know, like within our family, we, we called them born again Christians, but... Um, I never really sort of understood what that meant, born again. But um, they were Christian anyway. They're they Greek Orthodox, but um, they decided to become, you know, Hillsong people. Yep. Um, they were Hillsongers, etc. Um, and really good, wholesome, like great people, lovely, actually quite beautiful people in that regard. Like in terms of their outlook and also their approach. Um, but. Their kids, what's funny about it, the kids, their kids, my cousin's kids, or my second cousins, I guess, um, did not really go down that route um, because I think it was always looked at as a bit um, restrictive in, not extreme, but a little bit restrictive in what you can and can't do. Mm. And hard to, hard to apply, but hard to apply logic to it because mm. um, it really is about belief. And belief's got nothing to do with logic or knowledge. It's about belief. Yeah. I mean, you choose to believe something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, uh, I believe in goodness. Mm. Gen generally speaking, I believe in most people are good. Uh, society's good, generally, um, except under certain circumstances, but generally I'm talking about. So, and I've always, was, uh, I've, I've always thought it's very interesting when I hear people say, I believe this, I believe that. When they, when, and a lot of people say, I know this, when in fact they don't know it, they believe it. Um, so you must have done a lot of, sort of introspective work on not the difference between knowledge and belief. Absolutely. Specifically, I'm also in data, which is also information, which is knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> and by an extreme version of it. Yeah. Given that you're into data and data speaks the truth, generally speaking, um, it's the closest thing to truth there is because it's mathematically based and mathematics is the most truthful of all tools we have 
I'm not saying it is the only truth, but it's the most truthful of the tools you have. How do you reconcile that being a, a data person now mm. um, to the beliefs that you may have held some time ago? I think um, everybody wants to have a firm answer that the data says X, Y, Z. Uh, when you work in data, you realize there's only confidence, right, within a variance. Statistical confidence. That's right. Um, yeah. So you can get to a high confidence, but unless you have completeness of data, which is uh, almost rare. like Impossible. Om omnipotent. It was, right? it was rare because you cannot include every piece of every variable right. within the model. Yeah. So, and that never, and I, I, I love that, like, because it requires that, it always requires a little bit of faith. Right to make a decision, we uh, we like as people we like to institutionalize things. We uh, look at that over there and we say that gives me confidence. Um, so this goes back to your institutional religion and some people difference between religion and faith. Um, statistically, you will never have an a hundred percent prediction or understanding of the whole context. So there's always a variance of confidence within it, which then requires you to act based on that knowledge. Um, and you can actually extrapolate that out to the way that people invest in things is right. I, I build conviction, right? So we have a conviction over whether or not this is going to be the model that is good or the right thing going forward. Well, they call it a high conviction. That's right. Yep. Uh, and it's easy to have a high conviction over something that's institutionalized, right? So something that there are a lot of patterns around. Um, I love it. I love that there's imperfect data, right? I love that we have to make a jump, right? Sometimes in belief that there is a better way to do things or a better model. Um, so honestly, I think there's a, a, a real beauty uh, in both statistics and also that lack of confidence that is in each and every interaction from a data perspective where you still have to make a decision based on your beliefs. Um, there are other factors that kind of, uh, 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 I suppose, affect people's beliefs, which is things like social proof and um, that pressure, pressure, yeah, uh, influence. Um, but yeah, I think there is a world where both statistics and also a little bit of belief uh, like exist um, because we are all making decisions constantly on incomplete data. Now, that being said, we can increase the quality of information, which is really, really important because that increases the quality of our decisions and our life um, or our relationships, um, but it's always going to require a little bit of belief. That's uh, very interesting because when I was at school, I, I went to a Catholic school, and one of the brothers there was my maths and science teacher. I used to think to myself, how can he believe in God, which I find the hard, be the, to be the hardest thing to believe in, B, he believed in Jesus, as you know, I, I believe that part because Jesus existed. It seems historically seems to have, have existed. Most of the religions do account for him. Um, but he also believed that Jesus was the Son of God, with no proof. That's that's where his belief system was. But on the other hand, everything he taught us in science was about proof. You know, we had to in maths. Um, we had to, and particularly in physics, which you know I love those subjects at school. Um, and chemistry, like experimental truth, like there was an outcome based on the combination of two chemicals, for example. Mm -hmm. And I used to work, try and work out how the hell does he reconcile this sort of stuff. And I think what you're saying to me then, even mathematics and science is an incomplete truth because you can't always include all the variables. Um, therefore, there is a leap of faith. But statistically, there's a it's much more provable, but it's not proof. There's like physics, maths. Um, chemistry, beautiful, right? Um, they, I think a lot of people, when it comes to theology, um, separate that they're either for or against theology, and I'm saying there's a world where they both work together. Um, so if there is a God, right, I'm pretty sure that he could use mathematics to create things. He, like, that's totally a thing. I, I don't have any evidence to actually um, back that up because there isn't the evidence for it. Well, um, so what you find is that uh, people kind of have separate camps, right? And we institutionalize ourselves over in these big buildings over there. Um, we do this not just in religion. We do it in universities. We do it in banks. We do it. We create institutions which create rules that govern. Um, and we like to separate things. But those those things can work very well together. Um, if you, I suppose, have a, a different lens of things, which is less religious. Um, so I, I see a world where those things can work together. And that's essentially a choice because we're never going to get the evidence we need to prove or disprove. So it's then a decision on how you choose to live your life, um, which does come with then some sets of uh, values of what you then believe is good, like a deep belief that people are inherently good. 
Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to institutional beliefs, um, but I subscribe to uh, the belief of, um, you know, well, there could be something and I'm not ever going to know, but I choose to live my life the way as if I didn't know that if there was something. So um, that's that leap of faith. It's quite fascinating. There's definitely a, um, a bridge between the belief system and our behaviour. Therefore, there's definitely a link between um, understanding the belief systems and therefore understanding how, for example, data can assist us in determining the likelihood of someone behaving in a certain way. Yeah. I'm not saying we have to go around our life just um, on all feelings and um, kind of perception. And, yeah, yeah. Um, there is a, a we we live our lives on evidence, right? And yeah, yeah. um, we like bricks and mortar. Yeah. And um, we like tangible assets. We we want to touch and see and taste. Yeah. Right. And um, we are um, physical beings. Yeah. Um, and that's not a bad thing, right? Like um, that's the way that we work. Um, you know, there is an element in I think essentially being an entrepreneur, and you could tell me your your background, that there will, probably would have been an element of belief at some point, right, where I believe that there's a model that is good, right, or a better model. For no, no, better- I, 100%. That's my purpose. I believe that in my financial services business that everybody, it's good to help everybody borrow money to buy a home. That's right. Because everyone deserves, in my, in my morality yep. or my ethics yep. or my standards that I've been taught yep. and so- experienced watching my parents, that everybody deserves not not just rich people. Yeah, everybody deserves to have a roof over their head. Isn't that amazing? Like, and so you've got a, a transcendent belief of the current state versus the state that could be. You see a kingdom out there, and you're providing a road, right? Like the irony of Yellowbrick Road in the Emerald City. Mm. That's a transformative story and narrative, right? It's it's not limited to just you, and it's it's throughout history. Right, so deeply innate within us, we want this transformative. But it takes a step of faith, right, in your model or in your gut or in your belief system to actually go and transform, um, transform an industry, uh, transform a data structure, um, and you will never have evidence on a new model because the evidence does not yet exist. So people love to look for trends, right, because they make us feel great. But what about that thing that's in that black hole that has no data and no trend, right? That's really exciting because it is transformative. So I'm saying you, 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 know, you still have a theology and it doesn't have to be Christian. It doesn't have to be Jewish. There is, we have belief systems in us that drive us and they drive us to help us uh, transform not just for ourselves but for other people. Um, and that's good. Like that's a good thing. People are good. Um, yeah. And that's certainly my experience because you taught yourself to code, yeah. which is not necessarily an easy thing to do. But you got yourself into, into this business called Tapestry. Um, it actually, so I was studying theology um, and then I was a youth worker. Um, and I seem to be quite good at predicting what the next thing is. And so I was driving along one day and I heard a, um, a, a this is 2008, 2009. I heard a, um, a radio ad for the iPhone and I just had a light bulb moment. That's going to be the next thing. And so I was a youth worker at the time. I had all of this time in the middle of the night whilst I was looking after these kids out in Penrith. And so I just started to tap away and tap away and learn to write code. And I must have spent hundreds of hours teaching myself to write code. Um, so I was really lucky because I got on that mobile trend you know, a few years before other people. And I'd started to build applications. And then you fast forward like a few years and you're working for Uber and you're working for like Kmart. Did you work for, you work for Uber? Yeah, yeah, I worked on the Uber algorithm. Yeah. Um, so like- so that's, that's the, uh, the, the the ranking algorithm. Where, where yeah. They, the, the, so I, I ended up moving into R&D, which was a, a part, I can't go into too, too much of the algorithm, no. but I'm um, part of their algorithm as far as how they're uh, driving metrics with both drivers and riders. Right. So, um, or how do we increase NPS? Um, so yeah, right place, right time, and then did the work. Um, and so I built a product development company. Um, and then around 2017, I was like machine learning, um, statistics and design, those two things together, they'll be the next thing. Um, so we started to move into machine learning as far as how do we apply technology to move metrics in businesses, right? So, um, you might come to me and say, I want a recruitment system. And I would say, 
Well, how about we increase the NPS score of your business? And people get more like being the net promoter score. Yeah, the net promoter score. Yeah, um, because there's a, a correlated link. Um, so you have this weird compounding effect from this random, uh, you know, radio ad um, where you go and do the work, um, and you're sitting there in a refuge. You know, I think um, on 2009, 2010 for hundreds of hours and just building things, and then things start to evolve and the dots begin to join, and um, all of a sudden the market moves to where you are. Um, so I have a little bit of a strange background because you wouldn't think that somebody studying theology who was a social worker got into engineering, then got into design, then got into statistics. Um, but I guess that's my path. And um, you can kind of see the dots ahead of you of where they seem to be joining. So it's, you just mentioned machine learning. You didn't, you didn't use the word artificial intelligence, which I, I'm very happy about. But, um, but we'll, talk, we'll talk about that. I don't like the, the artificial. I like the idea that they're learning. Yeah. So right. machine learning is really the key. So before we go to the break, I'd like you just to bring us to 2023 and say, okay, I'd like to hear in your words, and I might be putting you on the spot here, but Sorry. what is a better way of explaining so-called artificial intelligence today relative to what machines, being computers, being software, mm. what they can learn from data that gets fed into them, from data sets that gets fed into them? But just explain machine learning relative to data sets. Um, so uh, I, I guess... Underpinning a lot of this is statistics, right? Yeah, which is which I mean, that's what I mean by data set. <laughs> so um, sets uh, of data, sets of information, sets of information. What is the probability that you're going to drink that water, right? Um, so I think people. Uh, what would I need to know first? Well, I need to know that there was water in there. Yep. Um, so I need to gather information. So you have data acquisition, right? Yep. Which is the acquisition of information. Um, and that's all well and good, um, but if you don't have an end result of why you're acquiring information to drive an impact to the subject. Um, that's a whole other piece. You might go back into our files here and just see all the recordings of me and how many times I, I pick yeah. the cup up in You're every at, time. on average um, going to work within a variance of X amount of litres of water a day. So yep. I'm, 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 I'm looking at your skin. It's yep. probably two plus litres. Mm -hmm. um, and so each day... But the software will look at this. Well, you, you'll, you'll train the software to look at this. Yeah, so we would acquire that information from you. Um, that would be your information if mm -hmm. we acquired it. Yep. Um, that's very important that yep. you own your information. Um, and then we would use that to say, well, you know, on the last 30 days, Mark's drunk on average 2.5 litres of water um, within a variance of 300 mils either side. Um, based on the next 30 days and the further out we go into the future, we could predict that uh, essentially you're going to drink roughly around the same. Would you then, would you look at the universe of all Mark's age, my age in my category and also compare me to my cohort? Yeah, so uh, that depends. So am I doing a personal prediction just for you personally, yep. which I think is the future and incredibly valuable, yep. um, a more personal experience, or I might extrapolate that up uh, and aggregate that across a demographic cohort and say, well, here you are as a benchmark within the cohort uh, and you're actually uh, below. And also I might try and find things like uh, your health records um, and then other health records and join them in to say, well, there's a correlation between the amount of water and Mark's drunk and also um, certain diseases that go out 10 to 20 years. So the software that you build is going to go out and find all this data from somewhere. Um, it, it could scrape it from somewhere, however it gets it. You, you might have it, it might already be presented. Mark might ask a question, yeah. ask you to learn about me. Um, and maybe you learn about me relative to my own cohort. And then um, and you might say, well, Mark, I need as much data as you can. I need all your medical records. I need blah, 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 you know, whatever. Um, you will then build the software and then the software would interrogate the data. Yeah. And, I mean, the end result is that I give you something that's, like, meaningful. That will help you. As um, a prediction. It's, yeah. It's, so, so most people, um, there's a big mystery around artificial intelligence um, and uh, like there's a lot of fear mongering as well um, mm. at the base of its statistics. Um, so until we figure out human consciousness, we're not going to have sentient beings, right? Yeah. Or sentient machines. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of math there. Um, so we are still building these things and they're very powerful as a kind of utility or tool, but they're only as good as the impact it's going to have on you, Mark. Right, so I, don't, I won't build anything if I don't understand really how, how can I actually, so you know, how can I help you to consume more water or be more healthy? What is the metric in your life that I can fine tune to actually uh, increase your experience? Or, so that's where you kind of need to start. Um, these, are, these are subservient tools, right? 
that are they find their value in relationship to humans right um so i, I think yeah <laughs> the media's out there a lot at the moment but it's very much well what do they mean to us um so we would actually first begin with the end in mind and say well mark like um Based on your demographic cohort, we might acquire some information. Your average life expectancy is X. Um, if you were to tweak these things, we might be able to get you an extra six months. And I'm not saying that's what my company does, but that's an example of the development of these tools and systems. Yeah, um, so in other words, it, it might, we can also find that um, people who drink X amount of water yeah. um, tend to have less kidney problems. Yeah. And I mean, some of those answers are really, really obvious, mm. right? But you want the answer to be in your face and brought to you. Well, you want a proof, That's sort of right. a proof of it. It's the same thing, though, yeah. isn't it? We yeah. already talked about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, like statistics. I know it, but I don't. I believe it, yeah. but I don't know it. And then what's what's going to convert you to drive change in your life to yeah. kind of um, maximize your utility? Well, well, it's funny you should say because knowledge of that is more likely to drive me to make change. In other words, drink more water than just believing it. So to me personally, I mean, if you presented to me um, something that said, here's all the data out that, that's available on people in, in your age, 60 to 70 years of age, um, this is what happens when you don't drink enough water, this is what happens when you do drink a certain amount of water and enough water is this amount, and this is um, you know the, the outcomes for those people who drink enough, um, this is the outcome of those people who don't drink enough, immediately I would, I would feel there's that's me, Thomas. I'm actually put my hand in the wound at that point. Yep. I'm going, yeah, you're right. I better start drinking fucking water, because he's just proven to me that water is better. Sometimes the data is not proof enough. People need a really strong story. Um, What's so, that mean? Well, so um, I, I have this whole theory about the story and the numbers, um, and it kind of comes along with the emperor's new clothes, which is a lot of people are looking at, you know, this emperor who's actually naked, right? And they're going, oh, he's beautiful because of social proof. And there's a little kid out there who says, but the numbers say uh, X, Y, Z. Um, a good example of that is um, our use of asbestos, right? We thought this was a miracle building material. Um, turns out as we get more numbers over a period of time, not at all. And that changes. So we have these changing belief systems. The data is a representation of what we understand at that time and used by an authority or an institution can be quite powerful, but that's not necessarily mean it's always correct, um, which is a scary thought um, because we base a lot of our decision-making on data. So there is the element of the influence of the story, which could be who presented the information to you. Uh, it could be also, um, well, are you biased yourself towards that? So people are politically biased, they're ecologically biased, they're economically biased. Um, so the data is not always the be all and end all. And a lot of people do want to get caught up in the emotion of the story uh, and disregard the data in their decision behavior. And there's a, a beautiful fine balance where those two things can align. Um, and I would call that integrity, right? Where they're integrated into one another, um, but it won't. All, evidence won't always um, sway people. Um, you've got to <laughs> have other factors like uh, social proof and also emotional movement and also uh, previous biases to actually change behaviour. Um, AI, sorry, I said it. Uh, machine learning, very, very, very powerful, but it's part of the equation. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Tell me about tapestry now, and maybe give me 
you don't need to, you can de-identify the clients if you want, or you can talk about who they are, but um, how does Tapestry use strategies for their clients to improve perhaps their bottom line or their top line or the experience that customers have with that particular product line or service using machine learning and artificial intelligence? Yeah. Um, so uh, Tapestry as a platform um, is really good at bringing together disparate information, right? So you might have information over there in a point of sale or a loyalty program or a staff management system. Within one business. Within one business. Yep. So we'll actually install Tapestry um, and we'll actually centralize all information. The other thing it does really well is it enables it to be shared, right? So I can pull my information together and I can share it with my suppliers or I can share it with other partners in the um, industry. So there's a platform there that we have. And on top of it, we have two products. Um, we're currently focused on retailers. Um, I like the mid-market, uh, small businesses. Um, I want to make access to data tools simple, right? And easy for them to access so they compete with the bigger guys. Um, so we, uh, we look at um, our products as, under this umbrella term of data monetization, right? You have data there. It's an intangible asset right? Um, we can pull that out and we can actually turn that into a tangible outcome. Um, there's two ways we do that. We help you to optimize the business internally. So that might be uh, your inventory, right? Well, these products aren't performing well. Um, let's get rid of them. Uh, or also might be externally, we want to share information with our, our third parties uh, who will actually buy that data directly from you through our system. And that takes that uh, intangible underutilized asset and actually turns it into a new income stream. So an example of that is- I was going to say, give me, can you give me an example? Uh, like we're talking about small small to medium enterprises. Yeah, so we're, we're currently focused on small to medium enterprises. Yep. Um, uh, so we, we entered the market with supermarkets, convenience store and liquor stores. There's a lot of consumer spend in supermarkets specifically. So we'll go to them and say, hey, listen, you have a data asset there that belongs to you and can be turned into a new revenue stream. Are you making an assumption in terms of data collection though? Like, uh, is there an assumption in terms of um, their terminals or? Uh, we can integrate basically into anything. That underlying tapestry platform is incredibly powerful and versatile in its integration. Um, so we will deploy into that business and we'll integrate in and pull the information into into one system, um, which is the tapestry system. So we'll, we'll go to that uh, business up the road and we'll say, you have an underutilized asset that you personally should be benefiting from, right? We're gonna come in, we're not gonna own your data, right? You're gonna own your data and we're gonna give you the controls to actually utilize it at all levels of the business. So you, you'll be able to pull out on your mobile phone on the shop floor and scan an item and see how that item's performing. You'll also be able to share that with a supplier. So an example of that is, say, a large beer company, and I won't name names because of yep. contractual reasons. Um, they want to understand how they're performing going into grand final weekend. Right. They've got promotions running. Yep. Right now, they can see that, but they see that two to four weeks later. But then they see it in, in terms of sales, you mean? Well, they see sales, but yep. they might also see the promotional activity or what the sale price in that individual store is right. or what shelf it's on is also quite powerful. So they, they currently get data two to four weeks out. We're saying, well, you used to buy data over here, but you can now buy it directly from your retail partners and in real time. Are you told me the, the beer supply, right? The big yeah. beer supply, yep. yeah. So they'll go, well, wait a minute, can we now see how we're performing coming into grand final weekend and see if our promotions are working? Can we also see how our competitors' promotions are performing? And so I'll there might be a liquor store? Liquor store and the, is a great example. So the, the, who might be selling this particular beer and it's, yep. it's the week before the grand final or state of origin or whatever the case may be. And... Um, your tapestry system sits in the liquor store. Yep. Yep. So, and then uh, that that that's going to give them sort of not, maybe not real time, but close enough to real time. It's data. real time. It's down to five minutes. So right? they're saying we yeah, can push okay. it up actually to be down to a minute. Yep. However, you then um, you you run it. You got to de-risk the business. So sometimes the actual tin on the floor, um, you know, you don't want to disturb operations. So I, I got my mobile phone. I'm I'm the beer supplier. I mean, it's, I've sent my trucks out to yep. deliver the stuff to this particular. Um, and there might be hundreds of them, but this particular independent. Um, well, this particular um, bottle bottle bottle. Um, and I can see that. The beer that we're promoting and all the advertising campaigns that we're running is not performing very well. But I also note that the beer is not in the front of the shop. It's at the back of the shop. Yep. So uh, we need to change that or we need to change the promotion. Yeah. So if I'm a large beer manufacturer in Australia, and there's yeah. several, 
uh, the grand final weekend and Christmas will make or break my yearly budget. Yep. Right. So closing the two to four week window down to five minutes actually increases the quality or the excess of um, the timeliness of information. Right. And that actually provides a competitive advantage to that supplier. So in other words, you'll be able to say that promotions should be working because the beer's right there in front of everybody as they walk in the shop. The promotion is not working. Why is it not? Yeah, it's not, so you know because you'll be able to see that. Um, do you find out from the revenue of the uh, liquor store, or do you find out just? We, we know the revenue. We also know whether or not it's on promotion and the sale price. We yeah. know the unit sold, um, stock in hand, yeah. um, and like you said in the very beginning, data quality is a really important thing. Um, but understanding, so most uh, suppliers, um, um, I think. Are, there's a really great example. Um, Jack from Fine Food Merchant can't see how his products are performing in a store, right? And he doesn't necessarily know if they've sold out. Sometimes he doesn't know for a few weeks. With our system, he can see that in real and decide to go and replenish the store. So there's more stock on the shelves. Customers are happy. So it's a real-time system that increases the access to information for and both suppliers and retailers. And Chris, does it tell you the effectiveness? So I guess it sort of tells you the effectiveness of the promotion too or the, or, That's or correct. the campaign. Yep, yep. So like it tells you straight away. Yeah, so you get the real-time feedback on it. Um, we uh, we have not been focusing on linking into the supplier systems because we're focused very much on the retailers. Yeah. Um, retailers are our customers, right? Yep. So it's their data. Yep. Um, suppliers actually buy their data just directly from the retailers, and that's yeah. a new income stream yeah, for them yeah, because yeah. there's an intangible asset. So one of the things is this idea of our information is actually very valuable to us. Right, um, and that's me personally, and you, Mark, also. You mean as as people? Yeah, yeah as people, yeah, yeah. and you as should customers. have you should have full control over it. Yeah, um, we realised this a few years ago, um, and then we thought, well, how about our, the retail information? Is that readily available? Um, and there's a very very clear gap in the market there, right? Where which we've now closed, which increases the quality of information, um, and we see that as an incredibly valuable position to be in. The decision of what you buy in that store has many many factors. So, firstly, um, we don't offer predictive analytics currently, right? right we, okay. we measure. Yep. Um, we will offer that in the future. So, I, I, I right. So down we, the track, we we actually do um, utilize machine learning in the platform, and we've solved a really boring problem. Can you give me an example? So uh, it's not you're not currently able to very clearly predict if that product in that store and that product in that store are the same product. Uh, because there's a whole bunch of different um, identifiers and SKUs. Um, we actually have a predictive model that enables us to actually do that. So we actually can predict in each individual store and join them together in real time, cross-chain and cross-pause, um, so I can actually pull together multiple retail groups. It's a really boring but very valuable problem to solve because it enables us to actually uh, roll up a fragmented market and enable it to be shared within a standard, which is quite valuable to both retailers and suppliers. Sorry to be keep going yeah, back to, that's to right. one example, but like, uh, does that mean what you just said that you can or will be able to do in the future um, get two liquor stores or ten liquor stores um, who the machine can sort of say uh, of the ten liquor stores, this one's doing the best. Well, these three are doing the best. Yep, on average, and but these three have something in common that these other seven don't have. Yep, therefore, yep. So, so we already do that. So there's a gap analysis, right, right? Which is across these stores, which products are actually performing within that store, and here is a hole, uh, which is an opportunity because if you actually close that gap, you're ordering more, which lowers your costs, which increases your margin. Yeah. Um, so that's um, it's very powerful. Um, things also like uh, SKU listing and delisting. So it's really even What's hard. What's that mean? So I have, you know, 20,000 products in a store, yep, yep, yep. right? Let's say there's the 80-20. 20,000 SKUs. Yeah. Let's say there's the 80-20 rule. Well, it like, seems to be 80-20. I don't know why, but it always does. <laughs> it's funny how these things converge, right? Like, yeah. you know, um, so- 80% of the bottom and, you know, not really performing or they are, but let's drop the bottom 10%. And it's really hard to actually go and find of that 20,000 products which are, and get rid of them. Yeah. Um, but we can do that in about, no, I don't know, 10 seconds, um, which is here are the um, products that are not selling. Here's the gap. So that's one example of um, internal monetization, which is using my data right, to actually optimize my inventory or optimize my staff plan. And then the external side is, well, those lines, I'm a supplier. Those lines aren't performing in that store. Maybe I should give them different lines or actually drop those from a product development perspective because nobody's buying them. Do you enable or empower, is probably a better word, the retailer to go back to the supplier? 
say, stop insisting on me selling this particular brand when they only stop selling they both, the Forex. They both talk to each other. Right. Right. Um, because you've actually created transparency of information. Right. So the retailers are going, I'm trying. So they're both working to get the shopper's attention and provide the best quality um, experience for the shopper as far as what they want. They want. Um, sometimes they don't work together. So um, it's a really interesting point that you raised around uh, uh, regional uh, variants of products. Um, currently, the data sets that are available in the market, so we have this idea of data quality, right? Um, uh, kind of at a region level uh, and a state level, right? It's very hard to get individual store data. Right. Um, at a regional level, all of, and this goes back to our original discussion about uh, how data itself is not always telling the true story. At a regional level, uh, all of the data will skew towards a large supplier like Coca-Cola. And we love Coke. If you're listening, yep. um, but at a regional level, uh, if you actually zoom down the microscope and you look at, say, a suburb like Brighton, Coke doesn't sell as well in Brighton as it does in a different suburb. So as you get lower, the, the demographics of a local local suburb actually determine what the shopper behavior is around that suburb. But the data tells the story that well, this sells well everywhere. And so the increasing of that fidelity of information is really, really powerful for uh, specifically direct suppliers. So I might have my own uh, Coca-Cola brand that I'm trying to break into the market. How do I find a store that's the right fit for it when everyone says, well, Coke sells well everywhere. Um, and we love Coke, just, you know, <laughs> I've got to be careful. But um, yeah, like uh, this small cola brand doesn't get the same opportunities as Coca-Cola because the data tells a narrative that it does sell well everywhere. However, it does not. So the change in uh, quality of information leads to new opportunities for that long tail supplier distributor market, um, which are smaller businesses. They actually get the evidence they need, right, to justify their existence and then find the gaps in the market to support their retail partners or shoppers. Where do you think the use of machine learning is going to land us in, say, five years' time? I mean, if you could just look at it a little bit. Um, so... Yeah, so like I moved into machine learning in 2017 because I thought that those two things would be right, which I was like, I was in the right place, right time. Um, the next thing's trust, right? Um, it's not about technology. It's about actually who you trust with your information. So um, having a platform where I can own my information and then interface with- Me being, when you say my information, you're talking about the you, uh, shop owner. You could be a shop owner. Yep. Well, even like you could extend that to the individual. Yeah. How do I own my information and make sure that my information is being used in the right way? Um, so these these large language models are going to become more and more powerful. What does it mean, large language? Uh, so this is an example like ChatGPT or Bard. Right. Um, so they are basically acquiring all of this information across the internet and every pulling day, it in. Every minute, yep. every second. And they're basically creating models that then predict the outcome of the next word that should be said based on a prompt, which is incredible. It's still statistics. but um, So these things will become more powerful, but then you're – advantages of an individual is your uniqueness. It's what you know. It's what you know about your industry and the way that you position things. So how do I protect my uniqueness in relation to these things? Well, I need an interface where I can control my information, but still also benefit from these systems. And I think if you get that gap right, where I'm able to own my information, not give it over to third parties, uh, and then also then benefit from those systems, that's incredibly powerful for businesses. You're saying I need an interface. Well, so you just handed over, you just handed over what you know about your business hmm. to the mass, and then your competitor could come in and ask a very similar question. Yeah, and they're going to get my my information, my yeah. instructions. And so what you want is you want to say, hey, um, I've got 10 years of historical data on consumer spend, yep. right? I know who my customers are. Um, I don't necessarily need their personal information, but I know demographically who they are. Um, I want to interface and take advantage of that, but also keep my information safe. So how do we do that? Well, uh, essentially, you've got to own your data um, and also have control over your own information, which requires new... Is, that, is this where Tapestry comes in? It's part of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, it's a big part of what we're doing because I think the model... So of, I'll interface Tapestry between me and ChatGPT on that example. Yeah. 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 Um, so that means that we keep your data safe. Yep. And then you can benefit from ChatGPT. So it's not training that. Yeah. So yeah. we actually have a prototype of that already. Yeah. yeah. Um, which enables you to do that and keep your information uh, safe. And I think... That, you know, that's interesting. leads into this, well, um, that's my IP 
that's what I know. That's what makes me unique. Um, if we just give everything over to machines to continue to train things, you um, you end up in the other end of the spectrum where there is no uniqueness. There is no art. There is no, it's all, you know, and I think there's a space for us as humans, right, to remain unique in our creativity um, and have these machines augment us, not replace us. It's interesting you should say because only recently um, I was, uh, I won't say what it was, but I was involved in this institution well-known institution, um, and they have a lot of uh, competitors who compete under the umbrella of this institution. And we're talking about the concept of concussion, in other words, recording every time someone gets concussed, whether it's a training or in the game. Um, um, this could be applied to soccer, basketball, rugby league, rugby union, whatever you want to talk about, AFL. Um, but uh, And there was... Um, a mob who wanted to come in and um, do testing on the players um, beginning of the season, post uh, a traumatic head injury or a head injury, um, again, you know, after the recovery period. And uh, it was basically brain analytics, but an- a- analyzing how the brain was going working, you know, yeah. fi- in a physical sense, not to give an objective outcome, just to an- analyze it. But it was a good tool. Like we thought, well, this is a good tool for us to have. But my my instinct was, I said, well, yeah, but I don't. We're handing over so much data, training their system to learn about. But, but we own the most valuable part. That's the the, the players. Yeah. And and we're the one who would get their consent to yep. doing this. Um. It's nearly like I felt like we had an obligation. I didn't know about your business, but we had an obligation to protect a the players, not just not not just de-identifying people, but actually protect that data because that data is really valuable to somebody else. Yeah, and probably should be valuable to us. And but I didn't quite know how to, to how to do that. Like how do I? Inter- I, I you're talking about interface. I mean that's what you guys do. But how do I? Where's it, what's the interface between our players' data? They play under our umbrella, and the machine learning capability of the organisation that's c- collecting the data. The, they were using headsets um, or special, um, enge- special, especially engineered headsets um, for collecting the information. Um, and I, my response was, well, because I didn't know about interfaces, I th- said, well, if we give you this data, I want to own percentage of your business because it's that's, that's what the value is going to be. Yeah. We're adding value to you, mm-hmm. but off the back of, um, because they they can have the best analytics in the world if they don't have the data. That's jack shit. That's nothing. correct, and yeah. it's got to be quality information. And the best quality information comes from the source. Yeah, totally. It's at, it's at the source, yeah. and uh, it's one thing when we say we do identify, you know, we protect individuals' information so no one will know this is Chris's brain concussion information. Um, that that's fine. That that should be done. Um, because all medical research is done that way anyway, and that, that's called ethics. You know, there's a thing called ethics, I mean, that's an, an, an ethical consideration that, that they can't get hacked, and I can find out what's going on with Chris. I got that, but actually, the value proposition is really a big deal. Mm. And so, yeah. are you saying what you do a tapestry is you interface between that? Yeah. So, um, I mean, my general hypothesis is that um, your information is valuable, and you should benefit from that value, right? Um, and then allow you to benefit from that. Um, there are other organizations out there who say, we're going to give you this service and we're going to reach into your back pocket and pull yeah, your data out. Which is what they were doing. Yeah. yeah. So that's the only change in the model, yeah, which yeah. is the ownership of the information and the benefit. We do actually partner and share in that benefit. So we we actually have a revenue share model on that. That's, your, actually, that's your financial model. That's yeah. our financial model. Um, so it's just a repositioning. Um, no, it makes sense. I feel we need to have a conversation about our relationship with technology and information. And I feel that conversations coming and it's not necessarily just an engineering conversation it's uh, an ethical conversation yeah, yeah. it's a political conversation well, it's fairness yeah basically fairness and it's also what i believe is good for my information and my in- independent right um so that will evolve um i would say that you know that then leads to trust being the next frontier for who handles these systems so you look at facebook Zero trust. Mm. Um, you look at Microsoft, there's some trust there. Look at Apple, seem to be doing some interesting things specifically around the positioning of that. But what is done with your information is probably the next frontier as far as an opportunity to build a great brand or um, help people even. Because we now know that it's far better to go in and help 
say the retailer with their information and take the benefit from it then pretend to go in there like other people do and take the data and do other things with it um it's far more economically benefit there's a, a tangible impact of that but it comes back to them trusting us with that information and that also comes back to us aligning our commercial model with them and those incentive structures it's interesting so i mean i'm going to wrap now but I, what's really interesting about this for me it's not just what tapestry does it's not just about allowing the person who's the organization who's gathering the information to, to, to help monetize that data, that information, the data. It's not just that, it's also sort of ensuring for them that that data and information, which you know they work hard to, to obtain, um, sits in a safe place. Yep. Because in the future, it might be worth much more yep. than it currently is. Yep. You might be getting you know one cent for every 10,000 bits of data. But in the future, you never know. You and others together might hold the key to something that's incredibly important to a supplier. Yep. Um, and we don't know. Yep. The point is we don't know. No. We don't know where this is going to go. Yep. And, uh, and, and why I think it's timely that we talk about this sort of thing, particularly on this show, because right now everybody just offers all the stuff up to social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, offers it up to, um, you know, OpenAI, ChatGPT, whatever um, variation of OpenAI there is, and we all get a bit sort of carried away. And I don't know if most people's eyes are open enough mm. to the value of what it is they're handing over. Yep. Well, it's themselves. It's their individuality and their creativity. Yeah. Which is an interesting thought. But I just, I mean, I don't know, but have you ever done any any analytics why people are so prepared, especially younger people? We um, we preference convenience, right? Um, so it, those tools are incredibly powerful, incredibly convenient, and they're not offered with another option, right, often to keep your data safe. Um, so I, I look at Facebook. We want to be together. I want to follow you on Instagram. I already do, Mark. So I want to see what you're doing. And this is a really, really, really heartwarming thing, right? They're built around um, our desire for relationship with one another. However, the trade-off for that desire is actually then our data rights, which doesn't necessarily have to be that way. We can be together and have data rights. Yeah. But that hasn't, we haven't had that conversation yet. And we need to have that conversation because this is where this is all heading. So we preference... Um, the uh, opportunities these things afford us, but at the loss of potentially medium to long-term value. Um, and that's sad. You're right though, it is, well, I don't mind, like I'm just giving my little bit of information, but I'm gonna actually tap into the say chat but I'm gonna hopefully tap into 10,000 people are having asked the same question, yep. and I'm gonna get back an answer yep. with my little bit of data. Yep. But it sort of does make sense too. Um, what you say it, it does make sense um it's an unfair transaction yeah. it's it, like they didn't pay for that ten thousand nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine bits of data it's it there's a line um and we need to determine where that line is um personal information for me is that line like nobody should be sharing your phone number or your email address personal information being um i guess categorized as information that can personally identify you or get your attention yep um, so there is a line and a trade-off, um, and we need to have the conversation. This podcast has been a, a, quite an uh, interesting journey for me. Like we started talking about theology <laughs> and uh, and lots of things around that, and um, morality, belief systems versus knowledge, and then we ended up um, talking about something sort of similar because it is nearly an ethical consideration yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks, Mark. Awesome. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a Mentored Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.